morning. How you doing? Good. It's good to see you, friends. I'm Josh, one of the ministers. If you are a guest, welcome to our church family here at Clear Creek. And for our friends joining us online, welcome, welcome, welcome. Wherever you are, we hope that it is above 30-something degrees, unlike here this morning. By the way, welcome back to winter 2.0. I mean, I thought it was gone, and it's like, no, I'm back. It's like in-laws. Anyway, I'm kidding. Hey, by the way, mother-in-law, love you. Anyway. It was good to see you this morning. We're diving into part five of our series, The Seven Signs of Jesus, where we're looking at seven different miracle moments from John chapter 1 through 11. And John, the apostle, is writing these and choosing these seven different stories very strategically because he wants us, we're told in chapter 21 of John, he says, I write all these things. I've picked them. I've chosen them just very specifically so that you will know. That Jesus is more than a man, but he is the savior of the world. In him, you can put your trust for this life and the life to come. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. Let's go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. All right, I want to start this morning as we're looking at the fifth sign with really maybe a very, very uncontroversial statement. Now, now, before I get into it, let me just say this. John doesn't call Jesus' miracles miracles. He calls them signs because a sign is not the point. Rather, a sign points to the point. And so Jesus is about to point us to the point through this sign that we're about to see. But before we get into it, just want to give you a real non-controversial statement. In fact, this is maybe the least controversial statement you will ever hear in church, in your homes, in politics, this will be the least controversial statement. Are you ready for the statement? Everyone say yes. yes. All right, here it is. Two words. Storms happen. No controversy there. Anyone here kind of going, well, Diggs, I would like to argue that fact. I don't think that storms happen. Anyone in here going, you know, I've never heard of a storm. I've never seen a storm. I've never experienced a storm. I mean, come on. Last weekend, we had storms. A couple weeks ago, we had storms. My family and I, we were at Fall Creek Falls on Thursday night celebrating my wife's 40th birthday. She doesn't look a day over 12. It's awesome. And so we were there celebrating. And what do we get? Thursday night, we get another storm. Storms are non-controversial because we all know what a storm is. We've all experienced a storm. In fact, a number of years ago, the worst storm I was ever a part of was in Houston when my wife and I were living there. I didn't have any kids at the time. And we are told that this tropical storm in the Gulf has turned into an actual hurricane and was named Ike. Now, we had fled Houston earlier when another storm was supposedly coming our way. It never hit us. So I said, hey, this time, what are the odds? We'll be fine, right? So we decided to stick around in Houston. And I got to tell you, if you've ever sat through a hurricane, you know it's not a day in the park. It was the longest and loudest night of my life in so many ways, you know, all night. I mean, it sounds like a freight train going by. Branches are hitting the windows and the walls. It's just this constant rush. Within an hour or two of the winds hitting, we lose all power. So we're in the dark. It's hot. Here's the thing. Houston, great people. The city, it is just like a sauna, but sweaty. It's just not. Anyway, so it's hot. It's just miserable. And so I want to give you just a taste of that experience. I found this news report from when it was going on. And so this is just a snapshot of that moment. Take a look at the screen. The winds are over 100 miles an hour, gusting over 100 miles an hour right now. 
And I want you to, to imagine being out of that and maybe being hit with a piece of debris. Imagine this. Nolan Ryan, the Hall of Fame pitcher, could throw a fastball at 100 miles an hour. Imagine standing out there and letting Nolan Ryan hit you with a fastball. That is not something you'd want to happen. Also, another non-controversial statement. That is not something you want to happen. Have Nolan Ryan hit you with a fastball? Here's what I'm trying to get at, though. Storms are not controversial. They happen. But here, here, are you ready for a real controversial statement? Here's, the, here's a statement. In fact, before I put it up on the screen, some of you, you left faith because of the statement I'm about to show you. Some of you left the church because of the statement I'm about to show you. Some of you have said, I'm not sure there is a God because of the statement I'm about to show you. And then there's others in this room. You would say, no, no, no. The statement that I'm about to show you is the reason you believe there's a God. Because of this statement, you're going to say, this is the reason I found a church, why I'm invested in the body of Christ. And some of you say, this is the reason I came to faith. You say, Josh, what's that statement? Here's the statement. While storms happen, here you go. Jesus doesn't keep us out of the storms. He doesn't, does he? But here's the promise. Here's the good news of Christianity. It's not that Jesus keeps us out of the storms, but he joins us in the storm. That is the fundamental hope of the Christian is not that God will remove you from all harm or all problems, but that Christ himself enters into it. And through his presence, he delivers us not just from physical storms, but from the far worse storm of Satan, sin, death, and ultimately separation from God for eternity. He saves us from the storm by coming into the storm with us. And this is what we see in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. It says this, when evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. But by now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were, everyone say that word with me, frightened. They were scared. But he said to them, it is is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in this moment as we look at this passage, may we see your presence. And yes, while the storms are very real, may we see the God who's over the storms. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to make this real simple. We're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about storms, and we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about storms, and we're going to talk about Jesus. If you have your sermon notes, there's a lot of blanks. I invite you to fill those in as we go. But here is the very first thing I want you to hear when we talk about storms. There are storms. There are different kinds of storms or different causes of storms, if you will. And really, if you want to kind of understand it, there's basically three ways that storms come about in life. There are storms that you make. There are storms that others make, and there are storms that just happen. Have you noticed this? There are storms that you make, others make, and then storms that just happen. Let me start with the first one. There are storms that you and I make. Isn't it true that some of the greatest pain that you and I have faced in our lives are because of the foolish decisions we've made? Come on. Some of us in here bought things with money you didn't have. You bought stuff you didn't even need to impress people you didn't even like. And now you are regretting that. You are in a financial storm because of decisions you made. 
And then others in here, isn't it true that maybe you're not the cause of your storm, but someone else made a decision, a sinful or foolish decision, and now you are facing the consequences. Someone decided to get behind the wheel of a car while drunk. And you know what it's like because of what they did. Your life has now hit a storm. And then there's this third category, this just happened category. There's the reality that sometimes good people doing the right things, still storms happen. Why? Because this world is a busted up place. You say, why is that? Genesis 3 tells us why. God made everything good, but you and I, through our rebellion, brought sin into the world, and it's just broken. Kids are born with disabilities. People go hungry. There are famines. There are things that are not caused by you or me in this here and now, but the consequences of a cosmic brokenness that has now blanketed this world. Storms happen because of you, because of others, and because of just cause. And you say, okay, so Josh, that's really, really encouraging. Thank you so much for that this morning. I'm so glad to know that I could cause or someone else can, or it might just happen. How does that help me? Well, let me give you just a few more things here because I want us to understand where we stand as people in the storms. I love what one preacher said. He said, every one of us is either in a storm, leaving a storm, or going into a storm. And isn't it true that you may have the most charmed life, but there are moments where you cannot get around or get away from a storm? In fact, here's the next thing you might just want to write down we see in this text is that storms are both unexpected and unavoidable. They're unexpected and unavoidable. The apostles, these 12 followers of Jesus have just witnessed one of the greatest miracles in the history of the world. Jesus, with a little kid's lunchable, served 5,000 men plus women plus children, upwards of fifteen or 20,000 people. Everyone is so excited by what Jesus has done. They want to force Jesus to become their king. And the apostles are like, yeah, finally, this movement is getting traction. Let's see this thing through. Let's raise an army. Let's push Rome out. But Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how this works. So Jesus, according to Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, which share the same events, we're told that Jesus puts them in the boat, sends them on while he goes up to pray on the mountain. Now, you got to imagine they are just high on the times of what has happened. And it's in the middle of the best moment of their life, possibly, that they experience one of the scariest moments of their life. By the way, isn't it true that you may follow Jesus and sometimes your greatest highs are immediately followed by some of the worst lows? You follow Jesus, you think, man, I'm now a part of the family. Life's going to be great. And then what happens? Your car breaks, your dog dies, your girlfriend dumps you, and you're like, what just happened? Welcome to life. It's unexpected, but it's also unavoidable. Isn't it interesting that the storm doesn't hit while they're on land? It's while they're on the sea. Because think about this. If you're on land and you're in a storm, there's the chance that if you're smart enough or prepared enough, you can find some shelter in that storm. So if you're smart enough... You know that you've got a house that you can hide in. You've got a structure you can go to if you're on land. And some of us think that if I'm just smart enough, then storms will never touch me. If I have enough health insurance, if I'm cautious enough, if I save enough money, then I will be secure. But notice the storm does not hit while they're on land. It happens while they're on sea where there's nowhere for them to hide. It is utterly unavoidable. And there are some things that happen that are just unavoidable. In fact, you guys have heard of a category five storm, haven't you? Well, there are five categories of the types of storms you and I will face. And I just want to run through these because some of you have experienced these. Others of you will experience these. But none of us will make it through this life without first experiencing some storms. Let me just give you these five. Almost every storm in life can fall into one of these five categories. Number one is the storm of death. 
Not yours, but the death of a loved one, a parent, a child, a spouse, a friend. And that is an unexpected, often, situation. And some of you know the pain of the unavoidability of someone's death. You've done everything you can, and cancer still wins. And there's the storm of relationship, isn't there, where you feel betrayed by someone. Or someone that you thought was your friend, you learn they don't really feel the same way about you. And you feel the ache of that storm going, I thought things were okay. I thought I do meant I do forever. But your spouse chose not to be your spouse. Your friend decided not to be your friend. And then there's the third one. There's the category of health, right? So there's the storm where something happens. You can't fix what's broken. You can't get relief. I have one friend, he's had a neurological problem for over 45 years where when he gets excited or when he deals with things, he, deal, he has a lot of pain. The, uh, the, the adrenaline causes physical pain in his body. He can't get away from it. That's a health storm. And then for some in here, you're facing a financial storm. It's one of those, you, you lost your job, you lost your income, you lost your retirement, you made an investment, it didn't work out, and things are upside down, and now you have a financial storm. And then finally, finally, there's this fifth one, and I think it's overplayed in our culture. And so it's almost like because everyone deals with this, no one deals with this. So I want to speak to those who really deal with psychological mental storms. There is some in our church and in our culture who truly struggle with debilitating depression. And no matter what they do, they try, they've seen counselors, maybe they've done some medication, they're doing all the things that you just go, it just is like this blanket I can't get off. It's a storm. It is unavoidable and it's unexpected so much of the time. Here's what I want you to see though. All of these have one thing in common and here's what it is. All of these storms and every storm you will face will show you what's inside of you. It's sort of like you've heard about those moments like we've discovered a ship that was lost to sea because of a storm, but because of this other storm, it kicked up the sediment and it rose and pulled the boat up a bit. So now we can see it. Isn't it true that storms often bring out of us the things we didn't know were in us, the good and the bad, the areas of growth and the areas of strength? And this is what we see in Matthew's account when he describes this moment when they're out in the middle. It gives us this very vivid word picture. And this is from the New King James. It says, but the boat, Matthew 14, 24 says, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea. By the way, the Sea of Galilee is about seven miles wide at the widest point, about 13 miles tall. So they are halfway through and they were tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. Now that word toss is a very interesting word. It doesn't just mean to be batted around a bit, but the deepest understanding of that word simply means to be pushed or pushing something to its breaking point. How many of you have been in a place where you go, man, this storm pushed me to my breaking point. I don't think I can go any farther. That it does something to you at a fundamental level. You begin to be broken apart. But there's this other secondary sort of understanding that being tossed describes someone being tortured to get information out of them. And isn't it true that when you are in the middle of a storm, things that are inside of you, you start to learn stuff. Information comes up. It's as the bottle of the toothpaste is being squeezed, what's inside comes out. Storms show us who we are and show us areas where we go, man, I thought I was stronger. I thought I was better. I thought I was more faithful. And I don't want you to spare in this moment because if you see that of yourself, here's what you need to hear, dear friend, dear child of God, is that this is the perfect place to now see who God is because when you see who you are, your helplessness and your need for help, that's when a Savior looks really, really good. 
And the last thing I want you to see about storms before we look at the good news is simply this, that storms, as long as they last, they will not last forever. <laughs> storms won't last forever. There's this beautiful little phrase in Mark's account when he's describing this moment. And John even makes this point in verse 19. He says, excuse me, in Mark 6, 46 through 48. Oh, let me go back one. It says this in Mark 6, 48, shortly before Dawn. Now, some translations will not say shortly before dawn, but if you have an older translation, it might say during the fourth watch of the night. Any in here have that translation that says fourth watch? I, I see one hand back here, okay? Fourth watch, let's talk about this. The night to the Hebrew person was divided into four watches. The first watch is from 6 to 9 p.m. Second watch is from 9 to midnight. Third watch is from midnight to 3 a.m. And the fourth watch is from 3 a.m. To, th- to 6 a.m. They got in the boat when it was becoming dark, 6, 7, 8 p.m. The storm comes, and they have been rowing and fighting against this storm for 8 to 12 hours. How tired would you be? No light to see, no stars to guide you, no clue of where you are, only 10-foot swells, only the rain in your eyes. Yes, you're with people, but they are in the same situation you're in. But shortly before dawn, so many of you this morning, you've been in a place where you've cried out to God like the psalmist in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? I'm praying, I'm asking, why aren't you showing up? And isn't it true, the storm is often the reason some people walk away from God. God, I've prayed and you didn't do anything. God, I'm faithful and this happened to me. And some of us in this room, you're hanging on by a thread because of what you're going through. And you say, how long? When will it end? Friends, here's the good news of scripture. The fourth watch will come. And Jesus will come to you in that moment. You say, well, when is it? Friend, I don't know. You may be in the first watch. You may be in a third watch. I don't know where you are, but the good news of Scripture is that the storm does not get the last say in your life. Jesus Christ will come. And I want to walk you now just very briefly through the hope that we have because here's the reality. It's one thing to say you're in a storm and say, now let's pray about it. But some of us don't just need prayers. We need to know where our hope is found in the storm. Can I get an amen from anyone? So I want to show you Jesus. And I want you to do, show you what to do in the meantime. So if you're in the storm this morning, or if you are preparing for the day when you are in the storm, I want to show you four things from this text very quickly. Number one, Jesus sees you in the storm. You need to know that Jesus sees you in the storm. We're told in Mark 46 through 48 that Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. So he's fed 5,000 people. The sun is setting. He needs to reconnect with God. The disciples go out. They're now in the middle of the lake. And from a mountain, with them in the lake, black clouds above them, waves around them, we are told these two important words. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. You say, how in the world does Jesus see miles and miles away? Here's how. You and I are natural, but Jesus is supernatural. And you do not need some natural help for your situation. You need a supernatural God who can see not just you physically, but he sees your straining and he sees what's against you. And the promise of scripture is that Jesus sees you. And some of us, I know, I know, isn't it true that all of us wish that we could see Jesus when we're in the storm? Anyone else in here, when you're in the storm, do you wish that you could see Jesus? We're like, there he is. I see him. He's coming to me. Okay. Yes. He's on his way. 
but we don't get to see him, do we? Have you ever watched a movie? Maybe it's Castaway or one of these other movies. Someone is stranded on an island, and so the woman begins to make a fire with the hope that if the rescue boats or the rescue planes can see the fire, then they will know where she is and they can get to her. And then, of course, to build tension, she builds a fire, but it's just not quite big enough, and the plane goes over. The boat continues on. See, friends, you and I don't need to see Jesus to be rescued. We need Jesus to see us to be rescued. I don't care if I can see Jesus because if Jesus can't see me, I'm still in trouble. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus sees you and he saw you at your worst and he still chose to save you and he still saves people today. This is the good news of scripture. Number one, Jesus sees you in the storm. Number two, Jesus is over the storm. Jesus is over the storm. And there's two little things in this passage that just absolutely, if you'll get this, it will radically change the way you understand who Jesus is. Notice this first phrase in John 6, 19. It says, they saw Jesus now, by the time he's out walking, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. Now, I know we've heard this so many times, we may have missed the significance, the gravity of this, but I need to explain this to you because it's more than we think. This word walking does not mean that Jesus is like wading through the water, really trying to, oh, he's straining. You know what that word implies? Jesus isn't straining, Jesus is strolling. This is a Sunday walk to our Jesus At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And get this, every molecule of creation also bows under Jesus so that he may walk atop it without any interference. He is the strolling God. The storm he sees, he takes seriously, but he is not worried about it. He comes to you and to me. He is the God over creation. Now here, you need to get this deep in your heart. How does creation begin? In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, but creation, the earth, was formless and void and cover and water covered the deep. And we're told then that the Holy Spirit of God hovers over the water. He's not pulled under the water. He's not wading through the water. He's the hovering God who is over all things. And the next part of the Genesis account is God begins to create order from the chaos of the, order, of the water. This is the same God who now strolls onto the scene to bring order in the chaos. And then they're freaking out because they see a man walking on water. By the way, would that make you a little nervous as well? Yeah. Some people say, well, Jesus, he wasn't really on the water. He's walking on the shore. Friends, if he was just walking on shore, they wouldn't have written it down in this book. He is coming to them on the water. And there's this beautiful thing to give them peace. Notice what he says. It's the most crazy little phrase. He says, it is I. Now, you and I say, okay, what's the big deal? Okay, little Greek moment. Are you ready? It is I. It's actually two little Greek words. Go ahead and put these up. It's ego, a me. Everyone say ego, a me. Ego, a me. Now you say, what's so significant about this? Okay, stay right here on the slide. There is another few places where this phrase is used. In fact, one is in John chapter 8. Jesus uses this phrase in front of the religious leaders. And because he uses this phrase, they pick up stones and try to kill him. You say, what's the phrase? The first time we hear this phrase uttered is actually in the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 3 when Moses 
is there kneeling before the burning bush. And he's just been commissioned by God to go back to Egypt and to be the messenger of God's word, delivering the people from Egyptian slavery. And Moses says, but when I'm standing before Pharaoh or when I'm talking to your people and they say, who is this God who sends you? Who will I tell them sends me? Do you remember what God says, church? I am sends you. In the Greek, ego a me. When Jesus walks out to them, he's not just saying, Yoo-hoo! He's saying, I am. He's not declaring that he's just there. He's declaring that God is there. I am is here. He walks over the water. He's not pulled under. The creator of the universe enters the scene and declares, I am. Can you imagine being those water molecules that have been in reality, in existence since Genesis 1, hearing the voice of their creator again saying, I am is here. Do you wonder if they shuddered at all at his presence? This is the God who shows up, but it's not enough that he simply shows up because throughout scripture, I am God showed up in the Old Testament, but we could not draw near for fear of death. And yet notice he draws near to them in the boat. The third thing you need to hear is yes, Jesus sees you. Yes, Jesus is over the storm. But number three, Jesus joins you in the storm. The good news of the gospel is not simply that he sees you. It's not simply that he's power. The good news of the gospel is not that you can get to God, but that God through Jesus Christ has come to you and he has come to me. He has not left us in the storm of our own making or the making of others or the reality and the consequence of a broken world. He comes into the storm. Can you imagine the humility of a God who would say, I created all this, you messed it up, but I will come into that mess. And in walking on the water, he comes to them and we're told in John 6, 20 and 21, he says, don't be afraid. By the way, that is the most quoted statement in the whole Bible. Do not be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat. Now I've told you before that sympathy is overrated. Man, when life is bad, I don't need you to come up, pat me on the shoulder and say, Josh, I'm so sorry, I hurt for you. Why do I not want that? Because now two of us feel bad. What I want is someone who can fix my problem. Anyone else in here wants someone who can fix their problem? No, that's fantastic. No, isn't it true? We don't need just someone else in our boat. After all, they had 11 other friends in the boat with them. You have Peter and you have his 11 friends. You have Matthew and his 11 friends. They're all in the boat together, but get this. They're all in the same problem. Friends, if we're on the Titanic, we don't just need one more person to join the sinking ship. We need someone who can save the ship. And Jesus, when he enters the boat, he says, I'm not simply here to tell you I'm sorry that you're going through this. He is the God who can do something about what you're going through. And he enters this moment and then this beautiful, beautiful little phrase at the very end says in verse 21, when he came on, the boat reach the shore where they were headed. In other words, final point is simply this. Jesus will get you home. Jesus will get you home. We sing this song often. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. You know it.
He will get you there. The storm does not win. The storm does not get the last say. Jesus is with you. If you are in Christ Jesus, then Christ Jesus is now in you, and he will get you home. When he came into the boat, they made it to where they were going. And just a few verses later in John 6, 39, we're told this beautiful promise of Jesus. He says this, and this is the will of him who sent me, Jesus says, that I should lose none of all those he has given to me, but raise them up, notice, at the last day. Say, but Josh, the fourth watch, it still seems so hard. Life is still hard. My life is not getting any better. Friend, Jesus will not leave you in the storm. Even if the storm takes your life on this side of eternity, it doesn't get the final word because in the last day, he will lift you up. Storms happen, but here's the question. Is Jesus in the boat with you? Is Jesus in the boat with you? And if he is not, the good news is today that can all change. I don't know what you're going through, but Jesus sees you. Jesus has power over it. And Jesus is saying, don't just add me to your list of people you complain to. Invite me in as the one who can be here because I will get you home. Have you brought Jesus into the boat?